This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Happy International Women's Day. We will be honoring the occasion in the second half of Fight Back starting at 1230. Our special guests will be Jess Tomlin, Executive Director of the Match Fund, which is an international women's fund supporting innovations led by women, girls and transgender people at the grassroots level. And Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie will also mark the occasion for us after hosting a breakfast for dozens of great 12 girls, encouraging them to be bold for change. First, though, the upcoming federal budget. The date was announced yesterday by Finance Minister Bill Morneau. I'm happy today to uh, tell you that in the House of Commons a few minutes ago, I announced that our budget is on March 22nd. Our budget will be a continuation of our program to uh, grow our economy, to help middle-class Canadians, to work hard with those that are most vulnerable and those trying to get into the middle class to improve their situation. Our budget will be very much about trying to increase jobs in this country, to create opportunities for people today, for their children and for their grandchildren. It will be about how we can help Canadians to get the skills that they need in a uh, dynamic and, and changing economy. It'll be really about thinking about how we can turn challenges into opportunities. That's our goal this year, to make our economy more innovative and to prepare Canadians for that, uh, that exciting opportunity. Interestingly, there was no mention of these uncertain times as we wait and see how promised tax changes from President Trump in the United States will affect Canada. Aaron Woodrick is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and joins us on the line. Hi, Aaron. Good afternoon, Jean. So it sounds like this will be more or less a stay-the-course budget with a focus on jobs and skills training. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of sort of boilerplate rhetoric here. You know, we're not expecting any big surprises, and in a lot of ways, that would be a good thing. Uh, the last budget that this government brought in, their first budget, was a very high-spending budget. Um, it plunged us into a very large deficit, much bigger than they had campaigned on. And one of the things we've been looking for is uh, if they're going to actually present a plan to get us back to balance. Uh, you know, we were very hard on the Harper government to get back to balance. They, they finally got there after six years. Uh, this government originally planned three years of deficits. Uh, that seems out the window now, but we're hoping this year they're at least going to put forward some kind of path to say how they're going to get us out of the hole uh, that they put us into. Well, a finance department report recently said the budget will not be balanced until the 2050s. So it's likely not going to be uh, given a timeline in this particular budget. Yeah, well, I, you're absolutely right, and that's one of the reasons we think they need to put forward some kind of plan. That uh, that long-term report that the department put out is a bit of guesswork, to be fair to the government. It sort of just assumes a whole bunch of things decades on on their current plans. I don't think even this government would, would want to wait that long to get back to balance. So, you know, of all the things, uh, you know, that they're going to have to consider this year, hopefully there'll be some kind of sense uh, that we can know when we're going to stop borrowing money just to, just to pay for the things that we need every day. But having said that, uh, it would be correct in saying there's little room for new spending, right? 
Well, we certainly think so. You know, this is a government that seems to believe that the, the path to innovation, as the minister says, or growth seems to involve new spending all the time. We would disagree with that. Uh, but we certainly hope to exercise some caution. You know, I think this government, uh, we don't agree with them on everything, but they are realistic. Uh, one of the reasons that they are being cautious is, as you mentioned, the new new president, new administration in the United States. Uh, we cannot ignore that whatever the Americans do impacts us. And so there's a bit of a wait-and-see approach to see what exactly they do and how, how that will impact our own plan. Well, I think, and that would appear to be a smart move, right? See what... Uh, Donald Trump is going to do first before unveiling a federal tax reform plan here in Canada? Well, I certainly think it's wiser than going right ahead and, and increasing taxes, as, as some people are calling for. Um, if Donald Trump does follow through with big tax cuts, as he pledged, um, that would seriously impact our competitiveness. There's no getting around that. If he cuts income tax or corporate taxes dramatically, um, Canada could be left in a very uncompetitive situation. So we'd certainly have to take that into consideration in our own plan. And if that does end up happening, and that is post-Canada's budget, what would the Canadian Taxpayers Federation like to see? Well, we think that the government would have to at least look at uh, decreasing taxes or at least not implementing new ones. And I think the one that's the elephant in the room with this government is the carbon tax. Um, That is one that is going to impact all Canadians, um, especially when the United States, if they are no longer going that direction, could put us at a a very serious competitive disadvantage. Now, now what about the the promise uh, that the Trudeau Liberals made during the last election campaign that they were going to raise $3 billion in new revenue by eliminating tax breaks? I mean, this is the whole federal tax reform plan that we're talking about. Is that not ultimately a good idea? Maybe there are just too many write-offs in this very rich country? Yeah, look, we were we were supportive of their tax review. We are not. We are a group that likes broad-based uh, tax relief, Jane. We do not support loopholes and boutiques that are generally geared towards uh, very select demographics that are politically beneficial. So we supported the government uh, looking at that. We're disappointed that they haven't reached any conclusions. But you know, if they're simply looking at that exercise as a way to grab more money rather than a way to simplify the system and maybe return it in other ways in the form of other broader tax relief, uh, you know, that would be a concern. So if any thing, it's better that they wait and see uh, rather than close the loopholes and effectively raise taxes on a lot of people. You're listening to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Uh, Aaron Woodrick, Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, is on the line. Your calls are welcome. If you have a question for Aaron or a comment as to what you think the, the focus, the priority should be in the upcoming federal budget March 22nd, give us a call 416 one 740 Tony in Niagara Falls, you're on Fight Back. What would you like to say? Good morning. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. Okay, well, the way I see it, I don't think the Liberal Party knows exactly what they're doing. I mean, if they got to wait for Mr. Trump to know what they're doing for tomorrow, I mean, what kind of country is this? So what would you like to see? Just well, working independently? Yeah, work, work independently and see where it goes. I mean, they're spending money everywhere else. I mean, everything they promised us, they never gave us. Uh, they're bringing in all these refugees in. It's costing us tens of millions of dollars every day. I mean, you know, like, we're Canada. That's the USA. We do our thing. They do their thing. But Mr. Trudeau is scared of Mr. Trump. That's all it is. He's a monster. I mean, you know, he'll just step all over him. Wow. A lot, of, a lot of accusations against uh, Justin Trudeau. Oh, I, which... I don't like him. He, everything he promised us, he didn't do. Like, think of it. Is that true, Aaron? Everything that uh, Trudeau's promised has not yet come to fruition? 
Well, Dean, I wouldn't say he's broken every promise, but in our view, he's broken some of the big ones that he yeah. made and the ones that were very important, including, for example, he said modest deficits for three years, $10 billion a year, that's it. We're nowhere near that. He went three times that in his first year, and uh, you know that's just one example. So I think, I think Tony certainly has a point. Uh, you know, When it comes to the Trump situation, look, I, I think this government was completely caught off guard, to be honest. There was no yep. sign here in Ottawa. They had even contemplated the possibility of Trump becoming president. That has thrown them for a loop, and they're, and they're still trying to figure out what to do. Uh, I do disagree a bit with Tony that we just go ahead and do what we want to do, because they are our closest trading partner and our biggest competitor. If if they cut taxes dramatically, we have to do something. We can't just sort of pretend that what the Americans do doesn't impact us uh, in any way. Tony, rebuttal? Well, you know, like, Mr. Trump, we, all of us knew, we figured he wasn't going to win. I mean, you, you see yourself, I mean, Trudeau even called him a clown, which he's not a clown, he's a businessman. I mean, he knows exactly what he's doing with figures. I mean, everything he promised the people of America, he's done. Everything. And everybody's upset now because nobody else has ever done that. Now, Mr. Trudeau, he was going to do this, he was going to do that. The only thing he's doing is nothing. The only thing he's doing is bringing Muslims into our country. And he won't stop it. Why isn't he bringing in the Christians? I can't figure that one out. Well, I don't know if that, you know, that's particularly true, because we do see a lot of Christians coming who are persecuted, even in Iraq and in Egypt, who are coming over. So certainly Canada is not discriminating when it comes to who comes into the country. Uh, Donald Trump, on the other hand, is discriminating. And uh, in fact, just this morning, Aaron, and we're getting a little bit off topic here, but it's important to address these kinds of racist comments. Uh, even this morning, the U.N. High Commissioner uh, for Human Rights called into question some of Trump's policies as being against human rights. So th- this is a global concern. Well, yeah, and I would only say this. I mean, that's uh, it's not really my wheelhouse, but it's just another example of policies that impact Canada, right? If the United States takes a certain direction with refugees, the reality is that's going to impact us, whether we like it or not. And, and so I think we always have to be prepared to respond. Um, I know it bothers a lot of Canadians to think we can't just do what we'd like to do and who cares what the Americans do. There, they, we have a, a thousands of miles of borders with them. There's, we simply can't ignore the fact that they're going to impact us. Do you think that uh, Bill Morneau will mention anything about uh, refugees or spending to accommodate more refugees, asylum seekers? Do you think that will be in the budget? That's a good question. I think they certainly need to think about it. Uh, I think the important thing when it comes to refugees, there's a range of opinions on this in Canada about how many we should take and, and how we should take them. But we need to be we need to go into it with eyes open. We need to know how many we're taking. We need to know how much it's going to cost. Because I think if the government does what they did with the Syrian refugees, which was promised it was only going to cost so much, and then it turns out to cost a lot more, I think Canadians have a right to say, well, how can we trust you on the numbers if you promise a a low price and it ends up costing a lot more than, than you said? Aaron, and we're speaking with Aaron Woodrick, Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, about the upcoming federal budget, March 22nd. And your calls are welcome, 416-360-0740-1866-744-740. As you know, our audience, uh, we we cater to a 45-plus demographic. We are speaking to boomers and Zoomers. Uh, what, What, in terms of issues that would affect older Canadians, do you expect to see in this budget? Any any kind of relief, any kind of good news? 
It may be a sort of stand pat for uh, for older Canadians in this budget. You know, the government last year uh, re- re- returned the uh, OAS eligibility from 67 to 65, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no sign they're going to touch income splitting for seniors, which is another sensitive issue. So, uh, you know, I think just generally, uh, you know, it shouldn't be a lot of surprises in terms of impact for uh, for older folks. And yet uh, the Trudeau Liberals were not responsive to a private member's bill by a Conservative MP to change up the whole mandatory RIF uh, policy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, you know, I think the government, uh, I think the government is reluctant to go there just because they're concerned about what the what the impact could be if they haven't looked into it. I, I don't know that that's something they'd never consider. Uh, but the fact, uh, one, it came from the opposition, and two, it sort of came before they had looked into it themselves, probably was the reason that that got shut down. Infrastructure is expected to be a priority, and there's even some speculation that Bill Morneau might get specific when he talks about big projects. Uh, Here in Toronto, do you think we'll, we'll hear something about Mayor Tory's transit plans? Do you think that that might be identified in the budget? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. You know, infrastructure is a big, big theme for this government. They have argued that most of the spending they're borrowing is for infrastructure. I would argue that's not the case. You know, a lot of people, when they think about infrastructure, they think about things like roads, transit, schools, hospitals, those so sorts of big ticket items. Instead, when this government talks about infrastructure, they've come up with new new um, categories called green infrastructure or social infrastructure. Uh, this is essentially just program span spending, Jane, and you can agree with it or not, but it's certainly not infrastructure in the traditional sense. So I think the government does need to explain what it is going to spend on for infrastructure and how some of the spending is going to boost growth, which, as they say, is, is what they're really aiming to do in the long run. Right, because as you know, um, the Toronto City Council received uh, the go-ahead from the Stephen Harper government of uh, more than a billion dollars in spending for the Scarborough subway extension. We've yet to hear from the Trudeau Liberals. I mean, we can likely assume that they will do the same, but we haven't actually heard that confirmation yet. Yes, and it's important that uh, the city of Toronto know that. You know, I, I think it's hard to argue uh, for a more important type of infrastructure than transit. Uh, transit is very important, especially in Canada's largest city. Um, you know, that's very different than building a hockey rink in Kenora, which might be nice for the citizens there, but it's not clear how that will sort of boost the economy, whereas transit, I think, will have a much larger impact. So what the Conservatives want is a more ambitious timeline for erasing the deficit. Uh, Outgoing NDP leader Tom Mulcair says the Liberals should follow through on closing tax loopholes for the rich and deliver on their promises to Indigenous people. Being that the Trudeau government has a majority, are they likely to respond at all to opposition concerns when we're still far out from the next federal election? Yeah, I think that's unlikely. You know, I do think this government recognizes that uh, Canadians have uh, they they have a certain tolerance for deficits, but it's not unlimited. You know, our group is fairly hard line on deficits, and, and we're happy to push that position. We recognize not every Canadian shares that, but even Canadians that might say some deficits are okay sometimes, I think they get a little bit nervous when the deficits get too big and go on for too long. So I think this government, whether it's this year or, or in the coming years, they're going to have to address it eventually. And training, skills training. We talked about that off the top. Uh, there's going to be a big focus on that. Uh, and and the, the part of the reason is because we're getting a lot of older Canadians who are retiring. So we need to bring in new people and those new people need the skill sets. So there will be some spending along that line. Uh, that's, that's the indication we're getting. 
Yes, and I think that that, again, is a, is a reasonable thing to look at, not only for young people who, as we know, are facing sort of a challenging economic environment in terms of job stability, job certainty. There's talk about precarious work, for example, uh, but also folks who are mid-career. You know, you have a lot of older folks now who are finding that their, their jobs are at risk, they're losing jobs. We haven't had that historically, Jane, and so the question is going to be how do we help those people who are impacted by economic change? How do we help them find something new uh, for a career? And what do you see as the solution to that? Well, look, I, I think there certainly needs to be uh, some spending on that issue. Um, you know, I, I question whether or not the government always knows best there or whether they need to partner with people in private industry who are who are in those areas and know what the skill sets would be. So, you know, we certainly look forward to seeing what the government has to say about that. All right. We're waiting for your calls here. 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. What would you like to see in the federal budget? Steve in Brampton, go ahead. You're on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Oh, hi, Jane. Hi. Um, I used to be a member of the Taxpayers Association, okay. actually. I, I think they do great work, but um, I think it's it really uh, it's long overdue for Canadians to have an adult conversation about debt. And I would say this to every Canadian out there, including the people on the far left, and I do not count myself in that group, but every Canadian that values the social services and social programs that we're famous for really needs to understand the long- and short-term impact of debt management, deficit budgets, year after year after year. And I don't care how they sugarcoat them. You know, it's always about them. I think this government have given uh, investment a bad name because a lot of it goes nowhere but into a black hole. And when you look at the debt servicing costs in Ontario and Canada and look then to what's happening with the demographics of the country and our ability to actually grow an economy, and government does not grow an economy. They only create conditions for private industry to grow. Then we need to be really, really really concerned about some serious, competent financial management. Steve, do you country. not think, though, that we have a better quality of life than even the Americans do? A poll came out last week showing that the American dream is actually being lived out in Canada, and many would argue that's as a result of our social priorities. And you know what? I would, I would counter that by saying this, if I may, and that is that that which is unsustainable ends. And the kind of fiscal management that we've had in this country, as I see it, is not sustainable. Is there a balance in there, though? Can you do both? Can you find the, the tipping point? <laughs> well, there was, uh, I think it was the, the, what was his name now? The last, the, one of the last the liberal finance ministers, oh, I forget his manly, I think it was, who said that recently, that one of the jobs of a finance manager, minister is to say no. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, it's no different than running your household, running a family, running a business. You have to set priorities. There are things, you, there are, there are things we must do. There are things we'd like to do. And there are things we can't do. Okay, well said. Aaron Woodrick, would you like to address that? Yeah, look, I agree with a lot of what Steve has said. Is you know, a lot of this is is about making choices. We simply can't afford everything that we'd like. And talking about interest, I think that is something that is really not part of the discussion that needs to be. The debt is very large. I mean, we are talking six hundred twenty-four billion. 
We spent $26 billion on debt interest payments last year, Jane. That's more than we spent on the military. So, I mean, you can think of all the things Canadians could do with $26 billion in terms of other programs and other spending. We can't do that because we spent it on interest. So that alone is, is incentive to make sure that we don't keep piling up debt in the same way that you or I wouldn't do it with our own credit cards because you're just going to waste a lot of money on the interest. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Aaron Woodrick, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, is joining us for our discussion about what we want to see in the next federal budget on March 22nd. Kathy in Etobicoke, go ahead. You're on Fight Back. Hi, Jane. Um, My concern is that they're still not dealing with the seniors situation and housing in Etobicoke, actually probably in all all of Metro. Um, we were at a CARP meeting yesterday, and Councillor Halliday was asked about um, possible new housing in the future. And he basically said, well, we've got two new buildings going in. They're private, and we won't have any problem filling them, which means that their market rate, they're still not looking after the seniors that are on very fixed incomes and can't possibly afford the rates that are going to be in there. Well, and, and this is exactly, Aaron, what Mayor Tory has been talking about in terms of, have, of making social housing a priority for both the provincial and federal governments. Yeah, it's certainly an issue that I don't think can be ignored and is, you know, among the most pressing that we, we see right now. I think the debate here is about what the direct, the best direct solution is. Is it about just more money? Does the government build more housing and, and subsidize it to, to, to create supply? Or is it an issue of regulation? I mean, there's a heavy, heavy regulatory barrier in the GTA in terms of building housing. Um, if you get rid of some of that, uh, the supply would increase. And as most people know, supply goes up, uh, price goes down. And so you might be able to find a way that doesn't involve a direct subsidy to increase supply at more affordable prices. Santis and Kitchener, go ahead. You're on Zoomer Radio. Thank you. I just want to say one thing. Uh, the government, what I say, they don't care. They should give some money to seniors. I'm retired for five years and I work for private sector. My pension is only 15000 Can I cannot go to the dentist. I don't have money. It's, yeah. I'm disgusted with this government and the uh, government doesn't see how some seniors live. It's disgusting. Aaron, let's talk about that CPP reform. We know that that is in the future uh, for Ontario and for the federal government. Is it something we might hear about on March 22nd? Yeah, I think the government has already uh, sort of shown its hand on that, uh, Jane. Uh, they've, they've upped CPP premiums. That's going to be uh, you know, a new cost for a lot of businesses and a lot of Canadians. Uh, it's actually not going to help any Canadian, I think, under the age of 50. I mean, it's only going to kick in decades down the road. Right. Uh, you know, so I, I think it's dubious there. And the other thing, too, is it's a question of, you know, it's not a question of should people be saving more. Of course they should be saving more, and we need to look at ways to encourage them to do that. But is a one-size-fits-all, is the CPP the be-all, end-all? You know, I know a lot of seniors and folks, uh, you know, middle-aged who are saving, they prefer a mix of investments, right? And so maybe a model that's more about directing savings into, for example, a choice of savings uh, investment vehicles would be better than a sort of one-size-fits-all CPP. And I mean, it, it would be a huge task to take on this kind of a reform, but what about spreading the wealth? The public sector has huge pensions, whereas the private sector, very few private companies now offer pensions for their employees. 
Yeah, and more specifically, Jane, uh, the ones that do tend to offer what are called defined contribution plans, right? So mm-hmm. you pay in and the employer pays in. Whatever the investment yield is what you get. There's no guaranteed figure. That's a lot uh, That's a lot harder on a lot of people because if the market doesn't perform well, you don't get as much back. But the flip side is in the public sector, it's a, it's a guaranteed amount. And that comes out of taxpayers' pockets. So as you say, there's a lot of folks who work hard in the private sector, like your caller, um, who are not getting the benefit that folks who work in the public sector are. And the question is, is that fair? Let's take one more call before we wrap up here. Michael in Toronto, you're on Zoomer Radio. Hi. Hi. Go ahead, Michael. Uh, thank you. I was uh, sitting on hold there and uh, wasn't sure if I was uh, forgotten or not. Nope. I, I would like to propose something that um, I, I've never seen in government. Um, however, I think increasingly it's how the rest of the world operates. There's been lots of talk about jobs. And I feel that I have to earn my job every single day I'm at my job. Um, So if I start not meeting my quotas or my numbers or my targets, uh, I'm reviewed. And if I continue not to perform, then I'm let go. And I think what our government lacks um, is a sense of a, a constructive sense of accountability uh, where they are rewarded when they perform and meet targets in operating our government, and they're held accountable in some way when they're not. Um, Because I think the biggest problem at the end of the day with this whole tax issue is that our government is by its very nature inefficient, and people who work for the government aren't incentivized to uh, make it efficient. I think the majority of people in government of course, there are exceptions. There are people who, who want to do well. But the majority of them uh, are in there. They want to work their 9 to 5. They want as little hassle as possible. And they want their pension and, uh, and their benefits program. Well, you said, the- you said that very diplomatically. Aaron, go ahead. Well, look, I think Michael makes a very good point here. Uh, you know, there are good people in the market, in the private sector and the public sector, but the difference is incentives. And I think Michael has nailed it here. Um, in the private sector, there's a very strong incentive to perform because if you don't, there is a heavy cost to you personally. And the problem with government is not that there aren't good people there who mean well. It's that if they make mistakes or if they take undue risks, they don't really suffer any consequences because they don't have to pay for it. And so I think the solution there, um, part of it is about introducing some of those incentive mechanisms, bonuses or docking pay, for example, is one way to look at it. But the other is to simply get government out of the things that it doesn't need to be doing. Um, And it doesn't mean it can't regulate and ensure that there are other things that are taken care of, but uh, allow the private sector to go into those areas so that you have that incentive mechanism in place. Aaron Woodruff, great to speak with you. We will talk again. Thanks for watching. The federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Aaron Woodrick. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.